Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 23 of the Black Texas Podcast, where black culture meets the world of technology. I am your host, David, and I am joined once again by the black Tony Stark himself, Herbert Seward. How's it going, man? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Trying to spend my imaginary millions on technology. <laughs> Trying to be that imaginary billionaire playboy philanthropist. <laughs> or, yes. or, or at least the philanthropist part. <laughs> I don't know about the playboy part. <laughs> no, nah, man. Yeah, definitely far from that these days. <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, um, definitely, you know, glad to, glad to be back on the podcast. Um you know, as you guys can probably hear, you know, some of our, our faithful counterparts are are um, are kind of indisposed. Um, you know, Prince of Wakanda, Dominique, isn't here this evening, <laughs> as well as, um, you know, the Princess of Wakanda isn't here this week, isn't here this week. So, um, you know, we're, we're, this is going to be a two-man show tonight. So... Hey, there's you know. as long as there's two, they can always. Well, I had technically I've done it by myself, but you know it's it's always more fun to talk with other people. Definitely. <laughs> but, but uh, all right. So as you all can can tell by the name of the episode, we're gonna be talking about cloud gaming and new media and how all of that has kind of shaped uh, how we consume media and gaming uh, right now. And so, um, so to kind of give a little background and also sort of a uh, shameless plug. I, uh, for those who don't who, who don't know, I, I write uh, tech articles on the on the side for a site called TechSpot.com. And so uh, I've written se- several articles about cloud gaming and diff- different companies who are trying to get in it. And so uh, uh, you have the you have the the more popular or the more well known ones like Nvidia has their GeForce Now, which allows you to kind of play games over the internet. Uh, provided uh, you you just probably have a mouse and keyboard or even a con- even a controller, and, and in fact I actually have it installed on my own computer, and so they kind of build it as a way you know if you don't have the money to b- to buy a gaming PC or a console or you know you you just you don't really want to get invest in an actual gaming uh, setup, you can just su- subscribe to GeForce Now and you can just play over the internet whenever you want, and it doesn't matter how powerful your computer, you can have a Chromebook. Uh, and still do, or maybe a Chromebook, or uh, and so one of the other well-known ones is uh, Sony's PlayStation Now, which basically allows you to play like PS3 games and maybe some PS4 games uh, over the internet. And so it's their way of quote-unquote backwards compatibility. <laughs> and so there, there's that version. But you, there's a whole bunch of other companies out there. There's one called Liquid Sky. There's a company called Blade. Uh, and even Microsoft is going to get into it. In fact, uh, at E3, uh, the the Xbox chief Phil Spencer he announced that they were uh, building Xboxes plural. And so, uh, and we found out later on that one of those consoles was was more of a low power uh, streaming box. So if you don't want to buy like a full Xbox, you can just buy the streaming box and just stream Xbox games over that instead of you know ha- having the the system right there. Um, now, <laughs> there, there's a lot of pros and cons with that. Like, on the one hand, you know, you can basically play games on anywhere there's a screen and a mouse and keyboard or, or a controller. So it makes it more accessible to people who may not otherwise be into gaming or really feel like investing in, you know, in a, in a proper gaming setup. 
But on the other hand, because you're going over the internet, you're always going to face lag or latency. And if you're trying to play games like first-person shooters or uh, anything that requires like Twitch input, you're, you're not really going to have a, a good experience because there's always going to be that, that very slight delay. Um, now, if you're playing games like a, a real-time strategy game or uh, maybe action games that don't require you to, to pinpoint accuracy, then you might be able to get away with it. But that's one of the, one of the things that companies are going to have to Ooh. overcome if they, if they really want to push this. And uh, th- apparently this is, this is a big push. Uh, the CEO, the CEO of, uh, of uh, where is it, uh, of, of Ubisoft said, bas- he, he basically said that with time, I think streaming will become more accessible to many players and make it not necessary to have big hardware at home. There will be one more console generation, and then after that, we will be streaming, all of us. So he thinks that the future is just straight, straight game streaming. And, uh, and let, me, let, me, let me shut up and get, get Herb's opinion on that. I mean, do you, how do you, how, well, one, do you, do you think it's a viable future to stream games instead of having it locally? Um, that's a very good question, honestly. I think, um, uh, I think, you know, somebody that has that vision of the future in terms of cloud gaming and where, where it can go, uh, there are a couple of assumptions that are, are going to be made there. Is that, you know, one assumption is that, you know, the infrastructure as we have it now is going to be to the point at that point in time in the future that we're going to be readily and easily, you know, able to support the type of the type of loads our infrastructure going to be asked to take in terms of streaming and gaming. Now, uh, that being said, you know, we're well on our way to doing that. Um, uh, for those folks out there that are listening that have, you know, done PC gaming and and are very familiar with the concept, there's a company a while back called OnLive. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which was a, which was you know kind of, you know, the predecessor to what we're seeing now in terms of all of our, all of the major competitors out there and major players out there getting on board with the idea of streaming games and low overhead and no infrastructure and, you know, that entire concept. Um, you know, the main thing with OnLive is that, you know, when they came out and, you know, uh, by the way, they were, they were, you know, the most important parts of that company were brought up by, you know, Sony, ironically, um, you know, in 2015. And them buying Sony, I mean, Sony buying OnLive uh, particularly the cloud, their cloud division in terms of their gaming infrastructure and the technology that they introduced had a direct link in terms of developing the PlayStation Now platform. So that, you know, it was already concept, you know, it was already conceptually being planned by Sony, but you know, being a watching them kind of envelop on live and, and buy them out and you know, kind of eye them from afar and saying, oh, okay, this is the, you know, we're planning this, but they are ahead of the curve. Let's, let's see if we can kind of, you know, get in on action and, 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 you know, get the technology while we can, which they did. Uh, it's very, it's one of those things that, you know, that speaks a lot to how forward thinking, you know, the folks in Unlock were and pretty much just about all of their alumni 
are working at places like Ubisoft or Sony or Xbox or, or rather Microsoft rather, developing you know those concepts of cloud gaming. Um, I think honestly though, it's going to it's going to really depend on whether or not whether or not we're going to have the same access to the nostalgic things that we used to have access to in terms of gaming. Um, that might be actually the because I know. Uh, I know you know. I know Microsoft was right pushing for the whole backwards compatibility thing right now, and so I wonder if this is going to be a way. And this is also why Sony uh, is, did their whole PlayStation now because their their thought was if you want to play some of the older games, PS3 games, then you can just subscribe to PlayStation now, and now you can play all those PS3 games. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, th- I wonder if the whole retro thing is kind of a way. Yeah, because then. Think- yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I think they go. I think that's a you know that's a very good point. You know, um, I mean we already have some elements of cloud gaming and integration. You know, in our current on our you know new generation platforms as as it stands now, uh, particularly you know with Microsoft and you know the the blending between PC and Xbox One environments. You know, for certain games, and you know being able to stream those games. Uh, from you know from PCs or or other platforms from the Microsoft side of things. So, um, you know, it, again, it's going to be a very it's going to be a very interesting thing to see how you know this kind of new frontier of gaming develops and advances, because ultimately you know it's it's wide open. You know, it's there's a lot of you know there's a lot of potential to really expand. You know, not just, not just obviously the technology for cloud gaming, but you know, just its appeal to you know the day-to-day households. And like you said earlier, you know, being able to engage in high-level gaming on a PC or a console, and not necessarily you know having the means to get said console, all you would have to have is you know really good internet connection and you know, and maybe 99 to 100 and some odd bucks to buy, you know, the streaming platform speaks volumes. Yeah, you know, I, know you, a, I, I know you, uh, I know you're a big fan of the NVIDIA Shield. Yes. Uh, and that, uh, I know NVIDIA heavily markets the whole GeForce Now thing on the Shield. And I think the Shield is, what, 99 bucks or what, maybe 150 or something like that? Yes, absolutely. Um and I, you know, you kind of beat me to it. You know, I think you're, you know, you're reading brains tonight. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, I mean, the Shield platform, you know, is a perfect, is the perfect streaming gaming platform, you know, for that demographic we're talking about. You know, demographic that are really avid gamers, but they don't necessarily want the overhead of a console or a PC. Um, you know, and the fact that it's NVIDIA technology based, you know, and that service is built into that platform, you know, it's, you know, that's, it's got incredible potential to be able to, you know, reach a large number of people that fall into that category, you know. I, I mean, I know, I mean, there are a lot of folks that I run into on a daily basis that enjoy gaming, you know, but they don't enjoy the price tag that comes right. along with it. And that's a very, you know, that's a very important, you know, threshold for a lot of people. Um, you know, for us as avid gamers, 
you know, we see a platform, we get excited. You know, we see a, a console, you know, we're thinking about, okay, well, all right, I want to see what this console can do. You know, I want to get my hands on it. You know, the casual gamer doesn't necessarily, you know, process like that. You know, they may enjoy the games. And that's one reason why mobile platforms are very, are very good at this point. Because, you know, they appeal to that demographic, demographic of gamer that's not necessarily the hardcore gamer, but they're not exactly a casual or random gamer either. You know, they just, they're more overhead sensitive and more cost effective. So that's something that, you know, that's this run toward cloud gaming and cloud gaming environments is going to be really, it's going to be really interesting to see. Um, like I said earlier, there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of parallels to, you know, to a lot of our network networking environments that we have in terms of, you know, online play and the blending of, two, you know, the blending of environments between, you know, two different platforms. You know, I mean, like I said, Xbox One and PC and PC environments for certain games, you know, is a good example. Killer Instinct, you know, comes to mind. You know, where you can just hop online, you know, pick a session, you know, from from your Xbox or a PC, and you're playing against that PC player around the world, or you're playing against, you know, uh, that Xbox person that's down the street. So here's my um, here's here's my 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 issue with it. I mean, like on the one hand, I mean, yeah, you 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 might be able to better afford you know a gaming console if it's just you know a hundred dollars or something like that but that that's the hardware is just one part of the equation like you said the networking is the part that is somewhat dubious and that actually kind of leads into other kind of issues that are kind of connected like net neutrality and stuff so you have absolutely so you have uh like the problem is unless you live near a more urban area or a suburb you might not have the greatest internet. Like if you live in, live in a rural area and you know out in the boonies somewhere, you <laughs> you might not actually yeah. you might you might not even have access yeah, to broadband internet. And so I know a lot of those people have to rely on either cellular or even satellite. And no one, I promise you, no one is going to be playing games on the satellite connection. I've used yeah. the satellite connection before, and it and, sucks. And it, it, it absolutely <laughs> sucks. Yeah, and that's a very good point, man, because. I'm gonna tell you, you know, this is, you know, that's a, you know, that's a very good segue to this little kind of side tangent that we're about to go on because, um, you know, this ties into a, a larger issue, you know, and that issue is, you know, being able to bring, you know, a certain standard and in infrastructure of broadband connectivity to everybody, and you know, not just you know folks that live outside of D.C. or Charlotte or Chicago or any number of areas, but, you know, everybody. And that's where, you know, 5G internet is coming in at. That's where companies like Google developing Google Fiber and, and, and trying to reach these, you know, these places that are not urban centers, you know, to really make sure that that, that internet infrastructure is uniform across the country. And that's a very like I said, that's a very good point. You know, um, I know if I hop on a server here, you know, in DC and I'm playing some Call of Duty, you know, Call of Duty Black Ops 3, you know, uh, that guy that's in Minot, South Dakota that might want to hop on the server, 
you know, isn't going to have the same type of connectivity, you know, and his gameplay, his gameplay experience, depending on his internet provider, a service provider is going to absolutely suck, you know, so it's, it's a, that's part of the challenge, and that's kind of what we were, you know, we were kind of talking about earlier, um, in regards to infrastructure being able to support that vision, being able to support, you know, that, you know, 10 to 15, you know, even 20 years down the line, you know, to be able to say, hey, look, I can, you know, hop on, you know, hop on a game session, you know, in Oakland, California, you know, uh, on another coast and not experience the, you know, experience instantaneous connectivity and, you know, um, seamless gameplay. That, that's the challenge, you know, and that's, that was a challenge, you know, even before the advent of a lot of our cloud technologies, you know, you know, internet connectivity um, in terms of, in terms of maintaining a real, real-time game environment is still a challenge. So I, I wonder, I wonder if this, I think you, uh, you, you mentioned 5G. Um, so I, I've somewhat been involved with um, not with 5G itself, but kind of looking at 4G and 5G is is and uh, trying to see if those are viable technologies to use in the in the corporate world. But uh, so the whole promise of 5G is that you know you'll have near gigabit wireless speeds, and that uh, it it'll it it sets the future for like millions and billions of devices devices that are connected like you know the whole internet of things and so the i guess that the thought is you won't necessarily need like a, a dedicated wired connection you can just hop on the 5g and uh and you know you can use that although the the problem with 5g is that because it's the so for those who are listening who aren't necessarily spun up so uh 5g technology 5g wireless is basically the the succession of 4G, or right now most people are using LTE, which is a 4G technology. So 5G uh, basically ups the ante by uh, it. Uh, it promises higher speeds, and the, the higher speeds are done because they're they're using a higher, a much much higher frequency to send uh, to send those signals. So right now most cellular signals are between like 800 megahertz to like 2.4 gigahertz. Uh, and as a comparison, your Wi-Fi is either using 2.4 gigahertz or 5 gigahertz. Uh, the 5 gigahertz is faster, but if you notice, it doesn't go pa- It doesn't go far. But which is what I'm. This is the problem that I'm, I'm leading to. So a lot of the the 5G te- not technologies are going all the way up to like 10 gigahertz and stuff. So you you have to <laughs> you you uh you're going to lead a, ho- a whole lot of cell towers to kind of supplement that infrastructure. And I wonder if. I mean, are they really going to build that out um, in, like, the rural areas and, you know, middle America and stuff like that, farmlands and stuff? So, I don't know. I mean, well, I, I'm, I'm, some, I'm still somewhat skeptical that <laughs> that this is going to yeah. – I mean, I, I could be wrong. Like, I, I, I could – and I hope I'm wrong, I'm wrong honestly. Uh, I would love for, you know, everyone to be able to connect to a, a high-speed connection – you know, regardless of where they are, and wireless is yeah. the best way to do that. Technically, it's just that, you know, with wireless, you're still dealing with physics. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and I think, yeah, I hear you, man. And I think, um, like I said, ultimately, you know, n- well, first, net neutrality, um, 
net neutrality in, in concept for, in the context of what we're talking about here tonight, um, is a detriment to that. You know, it's a detriment, it's an impediment to that type of growth and development. You know, from a, both from an infrastructure standpoint and from a standpoint of, of gamers being able to, you know, have that type of readily, ready access, real-time access to environments. You know, so we're talking about cloud gaming, you know, and we still have service providers that are now don't have the cuffs on in terms of being able to designate who gets the, you know, who gets priority in terms of bandwidth or in terms of, you know, in terms of speed. You know, that can be a real, that can be a real thorn in that in development of, you know, of cloud gaming and and the environment that that it needs to be able to really flourish. Um, I mean, I we were you know when when you put the topic out earlier in the week, I was really thinking about it. It's like wow, you know, that's a pretty good topic. You know, is because I mean we're we've all talked about the cloud and you know where I work at, you know, as a sysadmin, you know, for the nonprofit I work at now that's all we're on is the cloud and ultimately you know at the end of the day it's a it's an infrastructure that you don't control it's an infrastructure that um you pay somebody else to maintain and essentially that's you know a lot of those parallels you know kind of echo true for you know what we're talking about tonight um we're very we're going to be very reliant on you know a group of companies and service providers to maintain, you know, infrastructure, you know, for the gamer, you know, the gaming community and and demographic to really enjoy themselves and flourish. And, you know, in order for that to really work the way it's supposed to work, a lot of things have to go right. And, you know, a lot of people have to get on the same page. And that includes service providers. And I think we're a long way from that. In right. Terms of Right. And, I mean, I, and a, 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 another thing that kind of goes with that is um, a lot of ISPs have data caps. And so now some of them aren't necessarily enforced. Uh, I remember when, when I, I used to have Cox Internet and not Cox Internet. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I used to have Cox Internet. And so and I technically had a one terabyte uh, limit, but. You know, my daughter likes to stream Netflix all the time, and, and then at the time we also had a streaming uh, cable subscription. We had PlayStation Now, and then later on we had Layer Three. Uh, you know, so we were, yeah. and then I would play games online all the time. So you know, we would routinely <laughs> hit that one yeah. terabyte cap all the so, time. But I mean, the problem is you, uh, and the, and it kind of dovetails with the whole net neutrality thing. You're gonna have ISPs who, you know, if you want if you want more uh more uh bandwidth or whatever you you're not bandwidth that's the wrong term but you know if you want a higher cap limit you're gonna have to pay more and or if microsoft or if if sony or even nvidia you know if they if they want their customers to be able to use their cloud platform well we're going to charge nvidia and sony and microsoft extra money to use our network in order to do that but guess what they're going to pass those yeah, those costs those, those costs are gonna 
Yeah, the cost going to go down back down to the the user. Right. And so it's still ultimately going to be more expensive. <laughs> so right. it's it's like if you're if you're you know if you're middle class lower you know lower middle class or even just straight middle class. I mean, now you're gonna you're gonna have to decide. All right, is it going to be worth paying extra for this internet connection just so I can stream you know Call yeah. of Duty online? <laughs> yeah, and see, and that and therein you know. Darren lies the problem for, you know, the vision, the future vision of cloud gaming. You know, I personally, I think, I think it's going to advance, but there's always going to be some sort of hybrid in terms of, you know, there's going to be a very advanced aspect of gaming that people going to adhere to in terms of the cloud. People that have the means to access that environment will be able to. Whereas you know everybody else that may or may not have access to it, access to it, or when they when they do, um, you know the console is going to be the old standby, and that's not just for you know retro gaming. It's going to be you know as long as there's that ambiguity in terms of you know who has access and who doesn't, the console is going to always have a place. You know it's always going to have you know a place amongst the gamers that okay well I can't get connectivity but I can go down to the store and pick up a game and play lo- and play locally or I can you know get together with my buds and play this game locally you know or I set up a server and play locally you know it's those sorts of things you know are kind of where this is going to kind of fall you know it's going to be in that gray area where you're going to see, I mean, you will see a lot, of the, a lot of development and a lot of leaping forward in terms of cloud technology for gaming, but it's not going to be to the extent where it's going to eventually replace the console, at least not in the near future. Um, you know, and part, again, like you said, part of that has a lot to do with infrastructure and it has a lot to do with, you know, service providers and you know internet providers actually being on the same page uh, that isn't profit driven and I don't think that's going to happen for a very 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 long time <laughs> so, so do you think do you think um, do, do you think it's going to require some kind of you know regulation some kind of act of congress like what do you what do you think is going to take to to make sure that if this is if this is the future then you know how are they going to well, ensure well, it's definitely going to take regulation. Now, that being said, said to kind of take on the mantle of our buddy Dominique, um, you know, yeah, the orange peel Il Duce is not worried about net neutrality or repealing it. <laughs> so, you know, I, I highly, I highly doubt that we will see any sort of movement on that until this administration, at the very least, until this administration leaves office, and, you know. Given the political climate, you know, who knows what when that's going to happen. Now, that being said, you know, there will, I think there's going to be enough pressure on folks at the FCC where there will be some regulations put into place. Because once net neutrality really, you know, the effects of net neutrality really, you know, start to kick into gear and service providers, you know, say, oh, okay, nobody's looking. Uh, let's start throttling things back. That's when you're going to start seeing movement. And, you know, frankly, you know, service providers, you know, to get this legislation passed, you know, all of them are, are saying the right things and, and, you know, painting the right picture for the consumer. 
but in practice, you know, you kind of know it's coming. I mean, all it's going to take is a certain circumstance where, you know, one service provider is going to see something that's really profitable uh, that's, you know, that's coming through their, through their environment. And all it's going to take is them raising an eyebrow and saying, oh, okay, you guys are making too much money. Let's turn this faucet back a little bit. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, you know, I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of a catch-22 because you don't know when we're going to see it. And like I said, you know, the service, the service providers out there, the Comcast and the Verizons of the world are, are talking a good game. We just don't know how long that good game is going to last. Right. I mean, they. So. <laughs> I mean, we all know that they're they're in it. They're they're trying to find the best ways to make the most money for their share shareholders. So, and if you know if that means charging a little extra here and there, you know, for special access to their network or whatever is, they're going to do it. And so. Um, and yeah, like you said, I don't, I don't really expect the current administration to kind of uphold uh, any any semblance of. I mean, unless it's just outright, you know, just straight anti-competitive. I mean, the, that's the only way I can see the mastery doing something. But um, like you're, you already like. All right, here, here's here's another thing. So we talked about five G, right? So even in the cellular world, you already have T-Mobile, Verizon, and AT and T. Uh, zero rate is what they call it. Um, their own services, which means that their the zero rating just means that the service that's running across it it doesn't use up your data cap. So, it's for example, if you're on AT and T and you have Direct TV now and you're streaming it on your AT and T cell phone, it's not going to count count against your data cap because AT and T owns Direct TV. So, right. uh, but you know if you use Netflix or YouTube. It will count against your. Uh, <laughs> it will count against your. So, and, all right. So you're gonna have these five G networks that are trying to, you know, stream. You, you're gonna try to stream games over this five G network. You know darn well that these <laughs> that these yeah, cellular providers are not gonna just let anyone. You know, they're not gonna let people just stream all willy nilly without some kind of increased fee or something. Yeah, man. They're not gonna. They're not gonna have it. You know, I, I, I mean, we already see this coming. <laughs> I mean, that is, that's inevitable. You know, that's that's about as inevitable as as waking up in the morning and seeing the sun get the sun come up. So, it's the question is is whether or not once this starts happening, you know, what consumers are going to do in response? Because essentially, the the playing field is is going to be the same. Uh, when it comes to that, no matter what provider you go to, it may be ma- it may manifest itself in a different way, depending on the provider. Um, oh, by the way, as a side note, uh, we mentioned L3 uh, Layer 3 television um, earlier. I am a Layer 3 customer, and this is not just some paid plug. It's an excellent service, by the way. So uh, Comcast, uh, not Verizon, but Comcast, Cox, those guys can kick rocks. <laughs> but, yeah, um, but to continue, uh, it's um, it's going to be very again. It's going to be very interesting to see how consumers react to service providers that engage in this when it starts happening. And like I said, it's not 
it's not a matter of if it's going to start if it's going to happen it's going to be, be a matter of when and right. to what extent so um i mean i think to, for the context of our conversation on cloud gaming it, it's going to mean a lot it's going to have a big impact on you know not just the environment that you know a lot of our gaming community is going to find themselves in but who has access and that's going to be a very big thing going forward because you know like we said earlier if you're not living in a in a urban area or a semi-urban area where you're close to the grid in terms of internet connectivity um you know particularly in places in the midwest um some places in the you know in the pacific northwest although those are very rare, like places in Idaho, someplace like that. Um, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see how consumers in those areas, in those smaller markets, um, where they go, you know, and who they put pressure on. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, getting quality service to those areas of the country um, goes way beyond gaming it goes to the core of connectivity for you know the entire country as it pertains to you know fair access so um, you know one of the blessings that we have living living in an urban environment or a metropolitan area like DC is that even in the country you're connected like if you go past Richmond in the southern Virginia you're not that far away from the grid so you know, you're, you're going to see a Verizon or you're going to see any any number of service providers in the Carolinas or, you know, all the way down the eastern seaboard. Same thing with the West Coast. Um, Midwest, obviously, again, is a different story, you know. Um, and that's going to be ultimately where this this is going to play out. You know, that's going to be the battleground for you know, for the expansion of P, you know, of other service providers and infrastructure. Um, I mean, the first the first provider that comes to mind that's trying to really tap into that is Google. You know, Google Fiber is having problems getting into certain metropolitan areas, so naturally they're looking toward the Midwest. And quite frankly, it's a very good strategy. You know, because there's a need for it there. You know, um, like, I, I mean, it's between, you know, running some running wire, you know, wire or connectivity from places like, you know, Iowa City, Iowa, or, or you know, or Lawrence, Kansas, or, you know, any number of places in between going toward, you know, New Mexico, Oklahoma, Utah, although, you know, Utah, in those states, you start to get into that Western, you know, zone of influence in terms of, of connectivity. So, um, you know, that's going to be a very, that's where it's going to, that's where it's going to, we're going to see the, the quote unquote combat, so to speak, mm. when it comes to, uh, you know, where this technology and, you know, the infrastructure that's supposed to support it is going to, is going to develop, you know, so, um, but yeah, I, it's going to be very interesting as somebody as a you know as a gamer that enjoys cloud gaming and you know 
that's been on the cloud gaming since you know on live was actually a thing. I was one of one of the folks that had that service and played on it, uh, which was incredible. By the way, I loved it. You know, and they were really ahead of the curve, ahead of their time. Um, you know, I want to see it develop because it all it does is going to open up. You know, the it's going to open up that environment to more people to game and to and to really be engaged in the activity. So um, I wonder. Uh, it. it actually brings up a little, a, a kind of a side uh, question as far as. All right, so for example, if you subscribe to Netflix and you know I, I'm streaming Voltron, right? I don't own the I don't own that series, or you know if I'm streaming another TV show, or if, I'm, if I'm streaming Doctor Strange, right? I don't own that movie, but I can still stream it. So it it is, so if I'm streaming a game, do I own the game? <laughs> is that because it, it brings up those questions of ownership and you know if if I'm if the future of gaming is streaming, I'm, then I'm not really going to be able to own my own games. Maybe That's I don't it. know. Maybe it depends on how they if they structure like a subscription, like you know uh, Xbox Live or, or Xbox for Game Pass or PlayStation Now. I don't really own the game. I just own the right to stream the game. You own the, the right to participate in the service. So, yeah, it's, you know, that's a very good point. And I think, you know, any further development down that road is going to probably see, you know, modification in both the pricing structure for streaming and, you know, that definition in terms of, you know, okay, well, I'm streaming this game. If I wanted to download it, can I download it and own it? Is there going to be an extra cost associated with that if I want to download the game? That's you actually know? one thing I like. I like about Xbox Game Pass, at least right now. Like right now, uh, so with PlayStation now, you have to stream the game over the internet. You, you, there's no other choice. But with Xbox Game Pass, you can actually download the games to your to your Xbox and play it locally, and you don't have to worry right. about any of that, you know, latency stuff or anything like that. So I wonder if uh, if that. Well, if that's still a strategy, uh, I mean, I heard, I've heard that with um, so with those two consoles, you have, you know, you have the full console, then you have the streaming console. But even with the streaming console, I think I heard that Microsoft was trying to use some kind of edge computing technology where, uh, like, most of the rent, like the rendering happens like on you know on their Azure cloud servers, but the some of the encoding and all the all that kind of stuff happens locally, so that you don't have to worry about the you don't have to worry about latency as much, so you can actually play first-person shooters and stuff. And I was, I was actually going to ask you. Uh, you kind of, you kind of beat me to it. Uh, you said that you used OnLive. Um, uh, I've used GeForce Now a little bit, and it has. I mean, it to be fair, it was actually pretty, uh, pretty decent experience. Uh, now, granted, I have I have Verizon files. I have a, a gigabit internet speeds <laughs> so uh yeah, yeah. That's, that's, i'm kind yeah, of i'm yeah, kind of uh well granted i was actually <laughs> no well i take that back i do have a gigabit connection well quote-unquote gigabit connection but uh it actually varies dur during the day but <laughs> uh I'm, i was actually on wi-fi and so i think i think my uh, i think on wi-fi i think my highest download speeds are like 300 400 megs or something like that uh, which is still pretty freaking fast so uh so well, it was. It really wasn't that bad, uh, honestly. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, if you've got a tunnel of three hundred or four hundred meg, you know, you're not. You're not going to be hurting. 
<laughs> I mean, honestly. Um, and if you have gigabit service, then you know you shouldn't even be in the conversation. That's just right. it's just not fair to everybody else. <laughs> but you know, but I think the challenge is you know adapting the technology for folks that don't have that type of connectivity. You know, particularly for games, you know, that require that sort of real-time usage of data. You know, first-person shooters. Um, you know, multiplayer games. You know, uh, you know, real-world. You know, all-world type games. Um, that you know require not just a tremendous amount of data, but require the actual speeds to be able to process those things. So, uh, it's yeah, I mean, I think in developing the technology that compresses, that kind of utilizes that, you know, it's a very important thing. You know, and platforms, you know, like the NVIDIA platform, um, particularly with the Shield and with some other, um, with some other platforms that run the Android, one, you know, newer Android um, operating systems. Um, for those people that are really you know, committed to the fact of, okay, well, I don't want a console, but I want something that I can stream like a console, but I really don't want a console. You know, um, that, you know, that niche is, is going to benefit the most from that advancement of technology. So, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a very interesting, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see how that, like I said, develops. Actually, um, let me let me ask you. Uh, I, I I just I just thought about this now. Um, all right, so we've already discussed that you having a streaming platform means that you can kind of buy hardware that's less powerful. So I I wonder if that's going to affect uh, uh, the advancement of hardware, like even even smartphones and and computers and laptops and stuff like that, like. If all I need is an internet connection, then what if I could stream the game? And some, some actually, some of the streaming services can already do this. Um, what if I could stream the game on my iPhone or my Android phone and hook it up to a to a monitor, and then I can just play that way? I don't even need a computer. Like I don't even need a like. Why why should I buy a you know eight hundred dollar computer when I can just use my phone? To uh, well, to stream the game, and I, you know, most most uh, most devices now have support Bluetooth with uh, with the controllers and stuff like that, or Bluetooth mice and keyboard. So, or at least Android does. So, you know, why can't and Fortnite just came out on the Galaxy Note se uh, <laughs> no seven, the Note nine. So, you know, why not just use my phone? And and I wonder if that's going to limit how how much. How, or rather, how much more powerful like computers are going to be in the future? Because if you know, we don't really need unless you're like a hardcore PC gamer or something like that. But I want to—I don't know. I just wonder if that's well, going to affect the uh, the the advance of technology as far as the end user. Well, I think um, I don't think it's going to be as pronounced as as we think it could be. Um, primarily because, like you said, the hardcore gamer is not going to want to game on a phone. You know, the hardcore gamer is going to want either a console or they're going to want their own machine, regardless of whether it's going to whether whether streaming is a factor or not. Um, 
as far as the demographic that would be affected and, and would be more drawn in, that would probably be the casual gamer. You know, or the gamer that is, you know, semi-serious but not serious enough to really invest heavily in gaming. You know, and that's kind of what the mo and when we talk about mobile devices and and being able to utilize those things, the casual gamer is is happy with you know gaming on that mobile device. You know, if they're at home and they're thinking about hooking that mobile device up to a to a 75 or 65 inch screen, um, then odds are they're not a casual gamer. And that's you know that's something that. That's a very interesting twist on the, on our conversation this evening, at least on this topic. Um, but I think it's going to take a lot more development in terms of that technology, both on the mobile side of things and in terms of the actual infrastructure technology itself for that to become super commonplace. I because guess... I guess I'm just thinking of I'm thinking of that I'm I'm thinking of that family where you know they don't have enough they don't have a lot of money you know they can they can afford you know a, a budget Android phone you know a five hundred dollar you know a One Plus six or something like that uh, or even you know even just a you know a, a Motorola um, what is it the X I forgot what it is um, like you know a, you know just a budget mid range Android phone but but this Android phone can connect via uh, HDMI to a monitor and it has Bluetooth so I can connect the mouse and keyboard and since it has this streaming, this game streaming service on it, now all of a sudden I can play full out, you know, Fortnite or Tomb Raider or, you know, I can play an actual game without needing uh, you know, without needing a, a dedicated machine and I, I, the reason I say that is because, you know, we're, we're the black techies, right? So we, we try to make sure that our that our conversations about technology kind of involved how it affects the black community. And so in this, yeah. a, in this aspect, I wonder if this could be a accessibility thing for the, for the black community where, you know, if you might not have that money for that console or for that PC, you can just use the Android phone you already have and still, and still compete with other people who can afford those, uh, you know, those more expensive items. So I, I don't, I don't know. I just wonder if this is going well, I mean, this can go. This can go in a whole bunch of different directions, but I just yeah. wonder how well, that's going. Well, I, I feel where you get. I feel where you get where you coming from, Dave. <laughs> I really do. Um, but I think that you know that's not just that doesn't just apply to you know to mobile technology either. You know, we talk about our communities. You know, we talk we often, quite often, we talk about the the lack of accessibility to the internet, to internet connectivity in general. Um, I mean, it, that could be that could be mobile devices, that could be older PCs, older tablets, you know, older hardware that, you know, that is more easily able, easily and readily obtainable in our communities, but you know, may not necessarily meet the the actual requirements to run a lot of these things without the technology that's being developed. So we're, you know, that's a very um, that's a very good point because uh, even though you know that kid you know that may not have a computer may have be able to get their hands on a on an Android device that's running Snapdragon or or what have you, um, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be able to leverage that technology into the environment that they need to work on or work with. 
um, whether that's gaming or whether that's you know other practical uses. So that's something that has to be really um, that has to be examined further, um, particularly when we're talking about you know um, some of the areas that we're talking about, like in the Midwest, that aren't necessarily you know right outside of a of a heavily urbanized environment or or a region. Um, you know, those technology challenges are twofold, in some cases quadrupled because of that lack of access. So um, that's a very um, interesting caveat to this conversation. And it's going to provide us a good segue into the second half of our, of our show. Um, uh, those of you guys that are out there uh, listening to our podcast and debating on whether or not this podcast is going to end before 10.30. It will. And 10.30 for those of us that watch HBO and are a fan of uh, Issa Rae and, and some of her um, some of her work will be tuned into uh, Insecure on HBO. Now, if you enjoy the show as much as I do, um, it's it's groundbreaking stuff, and Issa Rae is a is you know she she's been on it for a long time. Now, uh, what does that have to do with our show and technology? Well, Issa Rae and, and a lot of her um, and a lot of her uh, counterparts that have really brought broken onto the scene uh, got their start in new media, uh, meaning YouTube, Vimeo, um, podcasting, places online where people are able to develop new content and to be able to kind of circumvent, you know, a lot of the more traditional processes of bringing um, media content, you know, or entertainment content to uh, people in general. Um, so starting off on that, Dave, I'm, you know, you mentioned before the show that you weren't exactly familiar with the show. So I wanted to kind of uh, ask you, uh, were there any, have there any been any things that you've watched on new media that have caught your eye, you know, on YouTube or any number of places that, you know, you kind of thought to yourself, wow, man, ooh, this could be a cable show, or this could be on network television. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. uh, what, what have you seen? Um, well, you know, obviously I'm, I'm a techie. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I follow all the major YouTube you know, YouTubers like you know MKBHD and your average consumer and Soldier Knows Best. Now you know all those all those folks and a lot of them, the their production values on, on a lot of their videos are so good. You could like you really could this like it's really something that you could import into like a, a traditional cable show. Like if they had like a thirty minute you know, show or whatever, you know, it would fit right in there. That's how good their production value is. And, and a lot of times, uh, a lot of them are, are actually using equipment and cameras that are geared towards uh, cinema. In fact, uh, MKBHD, Marquez Brownlee, uh, he, <laughs> him and a few other people, uh, they use uh, red cameras, R-E-D, red uh, cameras. And those cameras, those are like $10,000 cameras. Like, those are cameras that they use to film movies like actual like movie movies so and, and they're using these ten thousand dollar cameras to film youtube videos so um, but at the same time yeah. it makes them 
and now I don't. I mean, some people think that's overkill. I think. I mean, it probably is overkill. But that you know, <laughs> they're, they're. I'm not gonna begrudge their success. I'm definitely not gonna do that. So, uh, y'all keep doing what y'all doing. Um, but yeah. the, I get yeah. the the point is they were able to create these uh, these these videos with very high with great editing, great video editing, great camera work, great you know camera angles and cinematography, and so. I mean, you know, like you know, we're talking about new media and and, and the the rise of, uh, you know, the non traditional uh, consumption where you know I don't have to subscribe to, you know, you know if if you all remember the old tech TV, <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't tech have TV. to. <laughs> may 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 they rest in peace. I used to watch man. them all the time. Uh, <laughs> Attack of the show, all that stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, man. Poor, poor little, poor little brown for the homies. Right. You know. But uh, like, so it's like I don't need to subscribe to that to that, uh, or rather, I don't have to have a traditional cable subscription to watch something like that. I can just go on YouTube for free. And watch something that you know I, I I learn about, and you know these days a lot of people get their news and stuff. They don't get it from traditional sources anymore. They get it from social media. So, Absolutely, yeah. I think that's a you know I mean honestly for me you know YouTube especially in the last in the last five years you know has been it's it's been it's turned into a playground just for that you know. I mean, like I said, those are folks that are out there that are listening that are familiar with Issa Rae and, and her history in terms of, you know, just going from doing stuff like Ratchet Peace Theater and Awkward Black Girl, you know, on YouTube, which is some of the funniest stuff that I've ever seen, honestly, um, you know, to, to, you know, just dropping her own show on HBO, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a ton of just up and coming you know, new artists and, and we're not just talking comedy here. We're talking, you know, folks that are, you know, putting in work to develop full fledged series that you could probably, you know, flick on the channel at ABC, NBC or, or cable. And they would, you know, rival any of those things. Um, you know, it's a very, I mean, it was very cool to be able to see uh, and watch content like that. And, you know, on top of that, you know, there are a lot of content providers that are on these platforms that are young, that are black or people of color, you know, that are taking advantage of the platform and just doing their thing, living their best life, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> you know, so it's um, like I'm, for example, I was, I posted something up on, on the Facebook group, um, you know, from the all deaf digital team. Um, the squad specifically and it's a gaming series called your trash fam you trash fam and essentially these guys are all comedians they get together and they pick all the best fighting games that they that they like whether it's tekken or you know dragon ball z fighters or what have you and they just talk trash the entire time while they're playing each other and it's some of the hilarious most hilarious comedy that you know that have that's been associated with gamers that i've seen in a while and it's it's really, really funny stuff. Um, we talk about other artists like Dormtainment. If you've, you know, frequented YouTube and Dormtainment has been a staple on the, on the YouTube circuit for, you know, a long time. Um, and, you know, a lot of the comedy that's there, whether it's with those guys, whether it's with people like Big Ja, 
again, you know, the the actual production team of, you know, All Deaf Digital, which encompasses a good number of of up and coming artists. Um, it's you know, it it speaks volumes. It speaks volumes to what the flat platform is, who it reaches, how many it reaches, and um, just you know how how important it's becoming in terms of that development process for new ideas and new ways to entertain people, you know, so, um, you know, even for us, you know, for our, our humble beginnings here at the Black Techies, you know, we're, you know, we're still fledgling when it comes to this YouTube game. We're still trying to, you know, put the, we're still trying to put together our, you know, our YouTube channel and, and really establish it, but we have some really, really good examples out there to go by. So, um, you know, for myself, being able to watch those things, it's it's very inspiring because, you know, it's a platform where, you know, you could do it with a cell phone if you want it. And you can, you know, put together a really valid podcast that's very entertaining if you got the right people. So, you know, hopefully for those of you guys that are listening out there, we're pretty entertaining to you guys too. So <laughs> we appreciate you following us. And I mean, for, for <laughs> those... Uh... For those who are who are wondering what this what this necessarily has has to do with uh, cloud gaming, uh, just keep in mind that you know just if, uh, uh, maybe after maybe more than a decade ago, uh, you know people went to Blockbuster to to rent videos, and now Blockbuster is literally only one store away <laughs> from going. And now we are you know we basically stream our stream movies, and so. You know, in the in the future, uh, you know, instead of buying games physically or even downloading them, now we just stream them over the internet. And a lot of people attribute that that shift to this new media, to this shift towards uh, streaming. You know, uh, uh, things like YouTube and and Netflix and things that you can just access. Excuse me, access. You know, at the palm of your hands, and you don't need specialized hardware to do that. Um, and so now you have, you know, people like, you know, like Herb said, like Issa Rae, who are, who are, who have been able to be successful and make these careers from, from YouTube. I mean, I remember, I mean, I remember when Awkward Black Girl came out and like, that was like, <laughs> you know, it was a comedy, but it was like, this thing was better than like half the stuff on TV and it was free. It was on YouTube. And so, and then, yes. you know, you have this, you have this, <laughs> this black girl making this, uh, making this great comedy series uh, that, honestly, a lot of us could really relate to. <laughs> so, uh, and, and maybe that was, part, that was part of the appeal. And so now you have this yeah. new generation of people, uh, and that actually leads us into, I think we talked about this maybe, maybe earlier in our, uh, in our podcast series, but um, and, I mean, we talked about the accessibility and how the black community can use this. I mean, this is a perfect example. I mean, you know, I, I have a friend who has a, uh, she has a, uh, a YouTube channel where she talks about beauty supplies and, you know, b- applying makeup and all that stuff. Do you know how many women, how many black women have, like, millions of YouTube subscribers and all they do is makeup advice? I mean, I mean, that's, I mean, oh, man. and, like, and they're making bank because, you know, they're making making the, the money from the ad revenue from YouTube and, uh, and they're just doing what they love. They're just doing something. That on the surface, you know, it seems pretty simple, but 
I don't know. It, it, it allows people to express themselves and to and to put out content that, you know, a decade ago, you wouldn't have been able to do that. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, I look at YouTube now from where it was when it started. And it's, I mean, it represents so many things to me. It's, you know, half, it's half, you know, business frontier, half marketplace, you know, half you know, great tips for barbecue, you name it. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's what, it's a, it's a, it's, it's an archive and it's the archive in all the best possible ways you can think of what an archive should be in terms of content, in terms of people's ideas, creativity. Um, you know, it's just like one big giant creativity playground. And the fact that, you know, people are making careers, making six figures off of just content alone, not just, you know, putting, putting together, you know, content that's going to get them deals down the road or what have you. Um, it speaks volumes to the power of the platform. Like you can, you know, I mean, we talk, I mean, in some cases it's, it's, you know, you have some instances where it's kind of a, a negative where you have, you know, people with opposing viewpoints to put things out that could be offensive, that could be, um, you know, beyond the pale, you know, or extreme. Now, that's one part of the of the accessibility of this platform that, you know, we're still trying to figure out, honestly, you know, um, you know, you're going to see really, really whack, you know, things that are out there that, you know, that shouldn't be representative of anybody. But you know, that's also part of the nature of the platform because it's, I don't want to say it's the Wild Wild West. It's a lot better than that now than what it was, but, you know, you still have, you still have a lot in terms of, of leeway in terms of content. But for our, you know, for the context of our conversation, you're just being able to see, you know, a lot of these young and up and coming artists content providers really transition their talents into something really tangible and really enjoyable to the audiences that watch it are re is really cool you know like i said we we try to get up on that hustle too we want to <laughs> we want a piece of that you know to be able to kind of you know share what we know and that's kind of the nature you know, what the nature of the black techies is all about you know being able to share what we're passionate about you know which is technology you know blurred them, you know, black geeked them, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, to be able to share that experience with other folks, not just with folks that, that kind of share our views, but with, you know, people in general, you know, and to be, I mean, you know, this conversation about new media is a, is, is a good, you know, is a good example of, you know, how those demographics can le leverage the capabilities of one platform into something really, really amazing. So um, that's kind of that's kind of the way I see it. Like I'm, you know, I'm on YouTube right now on the machine, and and uh, you know, I am, you know, just in my in my little timeline lineup, I'm looking at everything from you know the CIAA basketball tournament from last year uh, to wrestling to Dragon Ball Z to how to cook this you know this set of ribs on the barbecue. <laughs> so. I mean, it's a veritable library of things, you know, that you can find. And, 
you know, a lot of our, con you know, our young content producers that are out there have really turned it into um, a really, really positive thing. And, you know, it's exciting to be a part of it. Right. I mean, I, it's, uh, <laughs> I will, with a caveat, well, you know, you, <laughs> I've gotten a lot of, uh, I've seen a lot of anger at YouTube for, you know, improper demonetization of videos and stuff. And there's been a whole, <laughs> a whole sub, uh, plot mm -hmm. with them. But, uh, but, you know, on, on the whole, on the whole, you know, stuff like YouTube has really provided a good platform for people to kind of put, put out what they, what they see fit. And one, you know, one thing that really kind of drives that is that, you know, it's your content. No one controls you. No one can tell you what you can and cannot put, I mean, you know, other than, you know, you know, objectionable, you know, pornography, stuff like that. But, um, outside of that, I mean, it's really kind of fair game. I mean, uh, you can, if it's something that you're passionate and you can make a video about it and, and no one, you know, you don't have some corporate, corporate, you know, CEO or, you know, whoever telling you that you have to do it this way and you have to, you know, you're your own boss in that sense. And you don't have to, um, you know, you don't, you don't have to wor worry about being influenced by, you know, someone higher up to tell you how to make your content, you know, you can make whatever you want and and market however you want and so uh i mean it, it really kind of lends itself to a, to a, to growth and i i hope that um you know if you're listening to this and you and you have something that you're interested in you know you wanna you know there's something you wanna do on youtube you know you wanna make videos do it you know, if you know, if you don't have, Absolutely. if you don't have Absolutely. the right, if you don't have the right camera, you know, just use your cell phone. I, I use all the YouTube videos you see on the on the Black Techies YouTube channel was done using an iPhone 10 and or or an iPhone 6s Plus, so it's yeah. not even that big of a deal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, well, I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, even Herb said earlier that you know, you know. You have a, a cheap Android phone. Just use that. It, it's not a. Uh, I mean, why we gotta be? Why Android phones gotta be cheap? Though? I mean, you know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I'm, I'm at. I'm at. Contrary to popular belief, I'm actually a fan of both platforms. I just usually choose uh, iPhone as my personal platform. Now at work, I use both of them. Actually, I use. Uh, we have yeah. a. We have an S9, a Galaxy S9. Um, and the latest iPhone, so I, I I get to use them at work, <laughs> so that's where I get my Android my Android feel from. <laughs> well, I'll I'll say this also, you know, for you know for those listeners out there that are like ourselves, are supporters and big fans of HBC of everything HBCU. Um, you got to talk to your administrators, man. This is honestly your schools. This is the I mean. To be able to market on this platform effectively as an institution, uh, the sky's the limit. Like I'm, like I said, I'm on um, I'm on YouTube's front page now, and I got certain things that I'm that I'm you know content that I'm interested in. And um, shout out to the folks at HBCU Game Day because you guys are kind of on the cutting edge of putting our sports um, our sports and culture out there on YouTube for you know everybody to see. You guys are are really awesome. So I just wanted to give you guys a quick shout out. Um, I'm looking at their channel right now, and they got everything from you know from entire seasons 
you know, from the MEAC and the SWAC. They got some Tennessee State stuff for you out there, Dave, you know, from the OVC. Um, you know, they even, you know, they even got certain game day experiences like the Shed at Tuskegee, for example. If anybody out there listening that's a Tuskegee grad or been to a football game at Tuskegee University, um, there, it, it's one of the most unique game day experiences you can have, you know, at an HBCU. And, you know, to be able to kind of put that content out there and to bring it to the general public to kind of, you know, show what we're all about from a cultural standpoint, you know, that type of exposure is invaluable. And that's what, you know, that's one one really, really cool way the platform can be leveraged, you know. Actually, um, let me uh, let me add to that. Um, so, because uh, right, right when you started talking about that, I immediately, immediately thought about two schools, well, three, um, but one, uh, Southern University, particularly the marching band. That's what I'm talking about, the marching band. So Southern University, Human Jukebox, and yeah. the North Carolina A&T University or State University. Uh, the, uh, oh, my God. I just forgot. The blue and gold You're right, blue and gold machine. marching machine. Oh, my God. I graduated from the freaking school. All right. Chris, Chris is going to kill you. <laughs> I know, right? All right. Chris is going to, like, carpet bomb my house all right so um, but uh, i don't know i just blanked on the name for, for a moment but uh but like those two schools are very effective um and, in fact i'm going to point out um a guy named thomas jones uh thomas l jones jr he uh he, he actually he used to be the the um, band director at a and he is now the band director at uh, hampton university which is his alma mater if i'm not mistaken um and so he himself has been very instrumental at at getting A and T on the map as far as their uh, as far as uh, YouTube and like posting their videos and like their production team was great and oh, so man. when you watch their video their their halftime shows and their performances I mean they do a really good job of capturing capturing the sound and you can see up close you know people marching and dancing and all of that and then you on the uh, yeah. you also have uh, Southern Southern University and they actually kind of started it in a way um, oh, before yeah. before Mr Hamer got in his current trouble man. Uh, uh, all right. <laughs> let's not, man, let's look. I, I'm I'm gonna refrain from from mentioning you know uh, Nathan man because uh, well I, I you know I mean it's in the news we don't have to refrain we don't have to re rehash it but you know they're multi they're you know they're online and online marketing and media presence for that program and exposure for the university I mean it's it, it's priceless. You know, and Garrett Egger, I want to shout out Garrett Eggerson, uh, who's very heavy into the media, into the media image that you see, you know, from the human jukebox online. You know, and it's not just, I mean, of course, if you go to YouTube and you, and you do a search, or if you go to Google and you do a search for human jukebox, Southern's going to come up in the top search rank. It's not, you know, it's not going to be anything, anybody else. That's how effective those guys have been in terms of putting their brand out there and not just, you know, branding the jukebox or all HBCU marching bands, which, you know, for me and Dave, you know, it's pretty close to our hearts because, you know, we're, we're band heads too. We're not just geeks. But um, it's, you know, it's a really good case study to see what these two programs have done in terms of leveraging not just social media, but the platform for new media. You know, YouTube, Vimeo, you know, and any number of other platforms out there, you know, the use of drones, you know, I mean, you name it, 
those guys have really done an, an incredible job of not just, you know, branding their respective, you know, brand, band programs, but just bringing really, really good exposure to the institutions that they represent. And, you know, for everybody else out there that is kind of behind the curves, please take note. Please, if you're if you're in administration at HBCU, and you don't know, um, you know, you're not aware of YouTube, or if you've been living under a cave in a cave system or under a rock for the last 20 or 30 years, and you don't know what you please, please, you know, catch up, please, because you know the sooner our institutions start leveraging this technology, you know, on a broad scale, you know. It's going to open up a lot of avenues for for us as collectively as HBCU schools that you know that we can really use to not just you know get the word out there about our experiences, but to bring in a new generation of students. You know because all the students that that are coming into you know into our into our environment you know or or being attracted to HBCUs are. Are utilizing this technology as sec, you know, as something that's second nature. So um, that's something that, you know, it's pretty major, and it's something that I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't. You can't really, um, you can't really marginalize it. You know, it's it's that important. Right. So on that note, I think uh, I don't I don't want her to miss uh insecure so yeah. uh let me because yeah, <laughs> uh, because honestly we, we might have to do a part two on this one because this is a this is a topic that i think that um i wouldn't mind getting getting some other perspectives on uh from the other from the other black techie so we'll we'll see what next week brings but um well we'll go ahead and we'll hold it, go ahead and close up shop here but before i go before we go let me uh point out because I, I like to do this every every podcast so we'd like to do a a black techie spotlight and i'm going to point the spotlight on one of my uh one of my uh fellow aggies uh michael purnell uh he co-founded a company called sieven s-i-e-v-e-n-t uh and basically his company they use virtual reality yes vr to help event event planners market events and they 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 give customers a 360 degree view of like the latest events from from their home so that's that's kind of cutting edge right there like i don't i don't think i've ever heard that kind of use for vr but uh, i'm shouting him out because he is uh definitely a black techie graduated from hbcu i know i know him personally uh so yeah i check out his company i think it's seven.com uh, he was actually interviewed by Black Enterprise uh, magazine, so uh, yeah, go ahead and please go ahead and check him out. I'll, I'll link I'll link his interview with Black Enterprise in the show notes, so be sure to click on that. Um, also, you know we'll we'll do the, the usual. If you want to see it, uh, see any any uh, of our other content, please make sure you visit our website at theblacktechies.com. Make sure you follow our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the black techies. And if you want to subscribe to the podcast, use basically use any podcast uh, software you have. We're basically on it. And yes. So Harry, did you want to? Yeah, definitely. I got, you know, really quick, you know, re, uh, you know, same thing with the spotlight, but we just mentioned them. Uh, All the brothers and, and sisters that are working for HBCU game day. Um, 
they are a collective of HBCU graduates and fans and enthusiasts that are very passionate about our sports and the culture that goes goes along with them. Um, any of you listeners out there that are familiar with HBCU athletics, whether it's football, basketball, you you name it, it's it's a unique experience. It's not it's not like anything else you'll you'll experience, you know, unless you actually get the chance to experience in person. And these guys have done an awesome job in regards to, you know, you know, keeping keeping that aspect of our culture visible using new media. And it's, you know, for those of us that kind of grew up on the days of BET where we can, you know, sit in front of the television and, and watch a HBCU football game or a basketball game, um, these guys have done their best to be able to bring us back to those days where, you know, we can actually return to, you know, being able to sit down on a Saturday or a Sunday and, you know, see our sports represented. So really big shout out to all you guys there. You know, all you guys are important. So I'm not going to single out any, any individual person. You guys as a team have really made a difference in terms of keeping our sports culture very visible. So more power to you guys. And just as a as a note, like none none of this is sponsored. Like we we're we're genuinely shouting them out because we think that they're legitimately doing great work. So just as a side, now if you want to sponsor us, we're not gonna necessarily turn you down. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, feel free to email us at uh, the black techies at the, the black techies at gmail dot com. But <laughs> but just just know that a lot of the, the people that we spotlight are people that we genuinely either know or we recognize as doing great work and we kind of want to highlight them because that's kind of the whole point of the black days uh is to highlight uh where you know black excellence is in the in the tech community so um so yeah with that um i think that's about it um if you don't have anything else no no i think that's it for us man um once again, thank you guys for following us and, you know, making this podcast as enjoyable for us to do as hopefully it is enjoyable for you guys to listen to. You know, your support is is sincere and greatly appreciated by everybody that's part of our collective. So thank you guys. And check us out, not just on the podcast, but on the blog on a regular basis. There'll be articles, tips. You know, we answer questions. You know, we we, we answer questions for food, <laughs> all sorts of stuff. So if you don't, you know, so check us out on the Facebook group. You know, wherever you see us on social media, give us a shout out. You know, hashtag TBT, hashtag, hashtag the Black Techies, hashtag Packet Stealer, hashtag Black Tony Stark. You know, you get the idea. You know, shout us out, and we'll keep on putting out good content for you. And thank you for your support. All right. Well, you all have a good week, and just know that the next time you hear this, he might not be our president anymore. But we'll see what happens. <laughs> That's to, for you, Dominique. You all right. I had, to, I had to do it. I had. I, you know, it, it seems like it does seem like you know it's edging closer and closer to that day. But we'll just have to see what happens. But uh, until then, you all have a good one. Take it easy. Peace. Peace.